What are the chances of the Gaza ceasefire? None. No possibility. Last night, 22 House Democrats joined with a Republican majority to censure the only Palestinian American in Congress, Democratic Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. Well, I don't know how you can have a ceasefire, permanent ceasefire, with an organization like Hamas. Marchers taking to the streets of Washington, D.C., many waving Palestinian flags and calling for a ceasefire. Gazans are life-loving uh, life people and they always find their way against all of the odds to survive and to be generous and loving. The Gazans are sharing the bread with each other, sharing the food with each other, sharing the sleeping areas with each other. This ongoing carnage have, has never stopped them, has never made them stop loving people and loving humanity, and they deserve to live in dignity and freedom. I think the whole world should ask the question, why did this happen? Why is this still happening? Why nothing has been done so far? What, what is happening in Gaza right now is it's very hard to actually describe with words. The, the escalation now is of, it's officially the bloodiest uh, attack against Palestinians since 1948 war. Uh, the Israeli army entered Gaza from um, uh, Beit Hanun in the north uh, and also south of Gaza City to sort of carve out the northern uh, side of the strip into, uh, from, from the south. And this, this is accompanied by continued heavy air bombardment. So now the Israeli regime says that it's, it, you know, it targets Hamas, but uh, so far it's killed already um, more than 11,000 Palestinians, including uh, over 4,000 children. I think Biden and just about every American politician has blood on their hands. My name is Hala, and I'm a Palestinian American. My two sons, Noah and Zain Safalah, lost 40 members, over 40 members of their extended family in Gaza in a recent airstrike. I am here supporting Councilmember Sawant's resolution to end the occupation in Palestine. At this point, for a public official to be silent is to be complicit in the face of this state terror against the people of Gaza. I'd be hard-pressed to find a single member of my community right now today that would vote for Biden. Welcome to On Strike, a production of Worker Strike Back. I'm Kshama Sawant. And I'm Bia Lacombe. As of November 15th, Gaza's death toll has risen to over 11,320 people. As On Strike reported three weeks ago, even before the latest violence, more than 80% of the people in Gaza had been living in poverty under the brutal occupation of the Israeli state. The massacre of the Palestinian people, most of whom were destitute to begin with, including the gut-wrenching numbers of babies and children killed, has led to mass outcry from working people across the world. This has forced President Biden to respond, expressing concerns about the violence and saying that hospitals should not be bombed. However, these are empty words. Because Biden has not only steadfastly refused the calls for a ceasefire, he is leading the charge on expanding funding for the Israeli war machine. Biden and the Democratic leadership and the Republicans are calling for an additional $14.3 billion in weapons aid, even as the attack on Gaza has turned into a killing field. But the war is quickly becoming a giant liability for U.S. and Western imperialism. Millions have marched across the world since the attacks began marking what appears to be the beginning of a new anti-war movement should the assault on Gaza continue. One of the major actions took place on November 4th in Washington, D.C., in which organizers estimated that 300,000 marched, making it the largest pro-Palestinian protest ever in U.S. history. Protests have now taken place in multiple cities around the world, and new ones keep getting announced. The American anti-war protests and opinion polls solidly in support of an end to the war are putting growing pressure on the Biden administration, the U.S. ruling class, and Western imperialism as a whole. French President Emmanuel Macron banned pro-Palestine protests just a few weeks ago, not that that stopped French working people. And now, under pressure from the protest movement, Macron has called for a ceasefire, saying that the Israeli military needs to stop killing babies and women. 
Macron, Biden, and capitalist politicians everywhere are deeply fearful of the development of a new anti-war movement. Confidence in governments, political parties, and institutions has fallen to historic lows. Nationally, the Democrats have overwhelmingly fallen in line behind Biden, including Bernie Sanders, who has completely refused to call for a ceasefire. We'll talk about Sanders' betrayal on this issue, as well as the censure of Rashida Tlaib, who has been the one clear exception in standing up against the massacre later in this episode. In contrast, in Seattle, Shama has brought forward a resolution through her Socialist City Council office condemning the assault on Gaza, calling for a ceasefire, and for an end to all military funding for the Israeli war machine. You might guess how the Democratic Party council members responded to it, but we'll come back to that as well. Among those killed in Gaza are 4,650 children and 3,145 women. Over 29,200 others have been injured. 3,600 remain unaccounted for, including 1,755 children, many of them still buried under the rubble of destroyed buildings. A total of 198 medics, 22 civil defense personnel, and 51 journalists have also been killed in the assaults. So we talked about uh, the, the bombing of Jabalia refugee camp um, uh, uh, last week. It's one of the most uh, densely populated uh, uh, place in Gaza. Uh, in, you know, all of Gaza is densely populated, but this place is very, very populated. And, and, and more than 400 people were killed in this massacre. And really, it emphasizes the um, uh, the historical background of, of these people that were displaced 75 years ago and were also attacked uh, uh, brutally 75 years ago. They were they were under uh, occupation for for hundreds of years, and now they are uh, 16 years under siege. Uh, one of the uh, dreams uh, of uh, um, right-wing politicians and the government uh, by really occupying again Gaza and having its land uh, as, as like a dream of the whole uh, Israel uh, map. Really it also emphasizes the, uh, the importance actually of like really opposing the occupation uh, the siege that is happening uh, that is really also of course harming uh, the Palestinian people uh, in the occupied territories, and of course also uh, it, we are seeing its effects uh, on the Israeli uh, population within uh, Israeli uh, orders. That was a member of Socialist Struggle, which is the sister organization of Socialist Alternative in Israel-Palestine. We distorted the audio as a protective measure because of the severe crackdown on anti-war activists inside Israel. Hundreds of patients remain trapped inside Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City, in the north of Gaza. What's happened with Al-Shifa, Gaza's main hospital complex, is emblematic of the nature of the Israeli state's war on Gaza's working people. Accusing Hamas of operating a command center under the Al-Shifa site, the Israeli military has been subjecting the hospital complex to relentless bombardment. The hospital has been under siege from Israeli ground troops who have surrounded the site, pounded it with gunfire, trapping patients and medical staff inside. There's a sniper who attacked four patients from the inside the hospital. One of them has the gunshot directly in his neck and the other quadriplegia, and the other one he has a gunshot in the abdomen. According to Dr. Muhammad Abu Salmiya, the director of Al-Shifa, Anyone moving inside the hospital's courtyards or around it is immediately exposed to gunshots. Those trapped inside are digging a mass grave to bury decomposing bodies as they have no way of getting them out. Salmiya said that Al-Shifa has turned into a, quote, real cemetery for the sick and wounded, end quote. Among the unspeakable horrors are those being inflicted on babies in Gaza. In addition to those killed outright in this assault, Another three dozen premature babies at Al-Shifa are at grave risk without the electricity needed for incubators. These babies are being wrapped in foil and placed next to hot water in a desperate bid to keep them alive in utterly devastating conditions. 
The medical staff have been struggling to keep the newborns warm after oxygen supplies ran out and had to move them by hand from the neonatal units incubators to a different part of the hospital. 40 people have already died at Al-Shifa, among them six newborns, due to power outages and a shortage of medical supplies, according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health. Al-Shifa is far from the only hospital being targeted by Israeli attacks. On this past Sunday, the health ministry announced that Al-Quds Hospital, the second largest in Gaza, was no longer operational due to the power outage and depletion of fuel. And as of Tuesday night, the Israeli Defense Forces have begun carrying out a full-on military raid into Al-Shifa. Words are failing to describe the escalation of death, suffering, maiming and loss of limbs, pain and destruction being inflicted on the people inside this hospital and across Gaza. As the slaughter escalates, ordinary people are fighting back against the war on Gaza around the world. As estimated by the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project, 3,761 demonstrations were held globally in October in solidarity with the Palestinian people and against the assault by the Israeli state. Hundreds more protests have been organized this month. There have been numerous acts of nonviolent civil disobedience. Some have disrupted official meetings of the U.S. Congress, such as the Senate hearing with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Stop supporting the genocide and ethnic cleansing of the people of Gaza! Please fire now! Save the children of Gaza! Not shrinking back. Not in the face of Russia's aggression against Ukraine. Not in the face of an intensifying strategic competition in the Indo-Pacific and around the world. If the witness will suspend, I ask that everyone again respect this hearing. One of the co-chairs of the Senate hearing that anti-war protesters interrupted is none other than Democratic Senator Patty Murray, the original self-described soccer mom politician from here in Washington state. Murray has backed this bloody war and occupation and appealed for support for the additional funding for the Israeli state just last week, saying, quote, our allies in Ukraine can no more afford a delay than our allies in Israel, end quote. Seattle area activists with Jewish Voice for Peace have conducted protests, including occupying Murray's office and getting arrested. One of those arrested was worker strike back activist Jonathan Rosenblum, whom we interviewed on our previous episode on the war. Jonathan wrote in an op-ed, quote, We were there to tell the senator to stop funding the Israeli war machine and instead address the root causes of conflict, the Israeli occupation of Palestinian lands. Like the vast majority of politicians in both major political parties, Murray has been a longtime booster of U.S. military aid to Israel, aid which is indispensable to the Israeli state's subjugation of Palestinians, end quote. The protests show the potential to grow into a mass anti-war movement, and needless to say, the U.S. ruling class does not want that. The anti-war movement against the war in Iraq was very damaging for both the Democratic and Republican parties. Globally, an estimated 36 million people attended anti-Iraq war protests in 2003. Alongside the civil rights movement that preceded it, the mass protest movement against the Vietnam War had a pivotal impact on U.S. politics and helped radicalize a generation of young people. That anti-war movement, combined with the potent factor of the opposition of American soldiers and veterans themselves, ended the war and dealt a historic blow to the authority of U.S. imperialism and capitalism itself. During the Vietnam War, an anti-war movement emerged that altered the course of history. This movement didn't take place on college campuses, but in barracks and on ships. It flourished in army stockades, navy brigs, and the dingy towns that surrounded military bases. Hundreds went to prison and thousands into exile, and by 1971 it had, in the words of one colonel, infested the entire armed services. The labor movement is a key force that could have a decisive impact in blocking the advance of this war. Already a number of American labor unions and rank-and-file union members have spoken up against the assault on Gaza and called for a ceasefire. The American Postal Workers Union passed a resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire, the release of hostages, and urgently needed massive humanitarian aid to the people of Gaza. The union said, quote, as working people, we stand with the oppressed and the innocent, thousands of whom have lost their lives in the last month. We unreservedly condemn the Hamas violence of October 7th. However, Israel's response has made the prospects for peace more remote. 
a humanitarian catastrophe is unfolding every day in Gaza. Thousands more innocent civilians stand to die wholly preventable deaths, end quote. Another statement calling for a ceasefire was signed collectively by a number of unions, including UFCW 3000, American Federation of Teachers Oregon, Chicago Teachers Union, and IBEW Local 520. The statement said, quote, Union members come from diverse backgrounds, including Jews, Muslims, and Middle Eastern communities. The rising escalation of war and arms sales doesn't serve the interests of workers anywhere. In the end, we all want a place to call home and for our children to be safe. Working people around the world want and deserve to live free from the effects of violence, war, and militarization, end quote. Workers and union members need to go much further. The labor movement needs to mobilize the rank and file and organize protests and strike actions to take the anti-war movement forward. A crucial tactic is workers refusing to manufacture or transport weapons shipments to Israel. For example, the Boeing Corporation is one of the suppliers of bombs to Israel, having recently sent a thousand bombs over there. Boeing workers who are members of the Machinists Union, the Spear Aerospace Engineers Union, and other unions need to organize protests against sending bombs to kill the people of Gaza and refuse to work in favor of the Israeli war machine and U.S. imperialism. The labor movement as a whole should demand that the $106 billion Biden wants to spend on war across the world should be spent on the urgent needs of working and poor people, including living wages, health care, funding for public schools, affordable housing, and childcare services. But one force that is not fighting back against the war is the Congressional Progressive Caucus of the Democratic Party. Overwhelmingly, the so-called progressives in Washington, D.C. have backed this assault or offered only fence-sitting objections to the massacre. The singular clear exception so far has been squad member Rashida Tlaib, the first ever Palestinian American in Congress. Tlaib has spoken publicly at rallies, calling for a ceasefire and criticizing Israeli state violence. And as a result, she was censured by the U.S. House of Representatives last week, with 22 Democrats shamefully voting in favor of the motion. This movement for a ceasefire is much bigger than one person. It's growing every single day. There are millions of people across our country who oppose Netanyahu's extremism and are done watching our government support collective punishment and the use of white phosphorus bombs that melt flesh to the bone. Meanwhile, as On Strike reported earlier, Chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal, did ultimately call for a ceasefire, but only under pressure from the protest movement, including the actions organized by Jewish Voice for Peace and If Not Now. Moreover, Jayapal is making it clear that she is unflinchingly loyal to the Democratic Party elite on this issue, as on others. It seems, however, that she shares their nervousness about how public opinion on this issue is damaging the party and affecting Biden's re-election chances. We spoke to um, leaders in Michigan who said they were concerned that he is losing support among Arab and Palestinian citizens there because of his full-throated support in Israel. Are you concerned that in a general election, both of these things could weaken President Biden's chances? Well, let me say, Kristen, that I have been one of President Biden's biggest supporters. I have been proud to be a partner as he has been courageous and strong on the domestic front. He has really called out the injustices for average working Americans across this country. The president needs to be just as courageous on this issue so that we keep the unity within our country for the support of the incredible things he has done. Because I know him well, I've had uh, breakfast with him, I've had the honor of working with him. I would call him to bring us to a higher place, to let the American people, to, to really call to the American people on a moral issue of this nature. And then I think we can go forward and talk about the incredible things that he has done. Jayapal's task on behalf of the Democratic establishment is to find a way to give cover to Biden in order to continue propping up the party's progressive authority. This sadly sums up the principal role of most progressive Democrats. Perhaps most disappointing for Arab Americans and American anti-war activists in general 
has been Bernie Sanders' ongoing refusal to call for a ceasefire. We are disappointed that you have not taken leadership in this moment calling for a ceasefire. Particularly when grief is being weaponized by American politicians to support horrific atrocities by Israel against Palestinian civilians. And all of this is funded by our government. It's extremely important that Rashida Tlaib has taken a public position defying Biden. But we have to ask, how far is she willing to go in helping lead a mass anti-war movement that can have an impact on U.S. politics? One thing that Rashida Tlaib did say is um, we're not going to forget this in 2024 in the presidential election uh, and that suggesting that Joe Biden can pay a political price for this. It remains to be seen how serious she is. Uh, and I think this will now put the test on herself uh, because Joe Biden is very clear where he stands. Uh, the question is, is, is Rashida Tlaib you know, clear about where she stands. And in 2024, where all the pressure comes down to supporting Biden or Trump, uh, is she able to actually say, not not this time, this time we're not supporting you, I'm not calling for a vote for you, and I'm not calling for all the people that uh, I'm helping to organize, we're not voting for you because you showed where you are. But the Democratic Party has chosen a clear side in this conflict. And again, I don't think that ordinary people who fight against oppression should, uh, should remain with this within this party. Unlike with most of the progressive Democrats who are busy playing interference for the White House, there is an unprecedented wave of dissent within the administrative apparatus in Washington, D.C., revealing the growing difficulties for the Democratic Party leadership in keeping a lid on the dissent. A letter on October 19th signed by 411 Muslim and Jewish congressional staffers urged the United States Congress to back a ceasefire. Some of these dissent statements have gone as far as objecting to the massive shipments of billions of dollars in bombs and munitions to the Israeli military, which is a crucial question because the Israeli state could not long continue its policies of collective punishment and occupation without the billions in military backing it receives from U.S. imperialism. Another protest, an internal State Department dissent memo, accuses Biden of spreading misinformation on the war and says that Israel is committing war crimes in Gaza. The memo, signed by 100 State Department and USAID employees, demands a ceasefire in Gaza. The rise in protests from inside the ranks of U.S. imperialism has forced Biden's administration to acknowledge them, with Blinken saying, quote-unquote, we are listening. Apparently, these staffers and the rest of us should rest easy now. But unfortunately for the Democratic leadership, these kinds of minimal acknowledgments, including Biden's voicing of concern over Palestinian deaths, do not appear to be quelling the protests at all. Outrage continues to grow over the slaughter in Gaza, and those politicians speaking up are doing so because they recognize the crisis of credibility this war has created and the risks posed in next year's election. The blowback is global. In the United Kingdom, Labour Party leader Keir Starmer is facing backlash within the party's own ranks of elected officials for his pro-imperialist position on Gaza. Over 330 Labour Party elected officials, two-thirds of whom are not Muslim, have signed a public letter urging Starmer to back a ceasefire in Gaza. Labour Party Member of Parliament Imran Hussain resigned in a high-profile gesture. So let us be absolutely clear in this House. This is now beyond a humanitarian catastrophe. Even as we stand here today, the innocent blood continues to be spilled on the streets of Gaza. Mosques, churches, schools, hospitals, bakeries, water plants and homes continue to be flattened by the Israeli military. So I have a very simple question for the Foreign Secretary. Just what will it take? How many thousands of innocent Palestinians must be slaughtered before this government condemns this brutality and bloodshed? Polls show that 66% of America's likely voters and 80% of Democrats want President Biden to call for a ceasefire. Biden's support among Arab Americans has fallen off a cliff. According to a poll by the Arab American Institute, only 17% said they would vote for Biden in 2024, a sharp drop from the 59% who voted for him in 2020. Young people are also turning against Biden for a number of reasons, including his warmongering. As a registered Democrat, no, I'm not voting for Joe Biden. Sorry, not sorry. I don't want to vote for Joe Biden again. You understand that the president of the United States of America has publicly denied the uh, death toll of Palestinians? When, when I saw the list of Democrats who started investing in what's considered like the war stocks, I was 
And you're telling, and you're, and you're going to sit there and say, you know, Republicans are the only ones who like war? Let's be real. Let's be fucking real. It's way too many people in here trying to make people feel bad about not wanting to vote for him. Have they ever delivered on um, any of their promises? Um, we don't have a lesser of two evils. A New York Times Siena College survey released earlier this week showed Biden virtually tied with Trump among voters younger than 30, with 30% backing Biden and 29% backing Trump. 34% said they backed independent candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. RFK Jr. has a horrific position on this conflict, but many are supporting him as a protest against Biden. The genuine anti-war left candidates in this presidential race are Cornell West and Green Party candidate Jill Stein, who are both firmly opposing the war and calling for a ceasefire. Biden is indeed in trouble. In 2020, Biden won Michigan by just 154,000 votes, with more than 300,000 Arab Americans in the state, the voting bloc could make a critical difference in 2024. The New York Times Siena College poll found that Biden is trailing Trump in five of the six most important battleground states, including Michigan. The deep-seated unhappiness working people feel towards Biden is of course accounted for by a host of factors, such as the economy, something on strike covered two weeks ago. But the divergence between working people and the Democratic Party on the war on Gaza has compounded the crisis of confidence for the Democrats. The results show Biden losing to Trump by margins of 4 to 10 percentage points among registered voters in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. They told us we had to save America from Donald Trump, and now we feel like we have to save Palestine from Joe Biden. This week, Hillary Clinton weighed in to support Biden and throw her full backing behind the war on Gaza, rejecting the call for a ceasefire. Clinton, who has never met a war she didn't like, was Secretary of State under Barack Obama during the escalation of the war in Afghanistan in 2009, also known as a troop surge, after both had just run election campaigns vowing to end the U.S. wars in the Middle East. Together, these two purveyors of war, death, and destruction did the opposite, sending an additional 30,000 American troops to Afghanistan, claiming that additional imperialist war and bloodshed was the path to peace. It was around this time that the Nobel Committee decided to give Obama the Peace Prize, if you weren't aware. Now, Hillary Clinton says there can be no question of a ceasefire for essentially the same reason, that somehow turning Gaza into a wasteland like U.S. imperialism did in Afghanistan, is necessary in order to stop Hamas. Every single Democrat and Republican who has ever worked in the White House, including Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, has blood on their hands, in fact, from head to toe. But they try to sound like peacemakers as they pass the ammunition. Biden and the Democratic Party and U.S. imperialism are in a historic bind. They are determined to assert imperialist interests in the Middle East. At the same time, they and the Israeli state are forced to contend with the dangerous realities unleashed as a consequence of the war, and the risks of this spreading into a wider regional conflict. As we talked about earlier, the conflict in Israel and Palestine goes back decades, with U.S. imperialism and every single administration, both Democratic and Republican, backing the Israeli state to the hilt in its occupation. But at this moment, the conflict also needs to be viewed in the context of the new Cold War between the two imperialist blocs led by the U.S. and China. Israel is the United States' most important link in the Middle East and has long acted as a bulwark for U.S. imperialism in the oil-rich region. Hamas is linked to Iran, which is itself an ally of China. The spread of the conflict could greatly exacerbate tensions between the two imperialist blocs with broad global implications. What are the aims of the Israeli ruling class that are motivating the ongoing carnage in Gaza? They are thus far resisting all pressure from allies and the growing outrage from ordinary people. It appears they are determined to use the political capital from the horrific October 7th attack by Hamas to try to achieve strategic objectives, including dealing a major blow to Hamas while they carry out ethnic cleansing in Gaza. Yeah, so we, we've heard uh, some Israeli government officials use uh, really genocidal uh, language that uh, used to be considered very irresponsible and damaging from the quote-unquote more um, responsible elements of, of the Israeli ruling class. 
but now it is used, this language is used to sort of rally up anger in society uh, following the October 7th Hamas attack, uh, which th this attack really gave the government sort of a, a temporary freedom, uh, at least for now, to uh, to unleash this horrendous assault on civilians. And the language that follows that is, uh, is, is part of that. What is, uh, you know, cynically called the, in the international press, the end game of this war uh, is debated uh, within uh, the Israeli regime and between the Israeli regime and its imperialist backers, particularly the White House. And at this stage, uh, they are uh, not clear and also not sure about their ability uh, to uh, occupy and hold Gaza under their control without uh, having a huge destabilization effect in the region, but also for millions upon millions of people around the globe taking to the streets to protest this brutal war and these brutal policies and to protest the governments that are backing them up, uh, whether it's by you know, money or by diplomatic support. But what is also clear is that those goals will not be achieved from the very simple reason that the Palestinian masses themselves in Gaza and actually anywhere else will, will not be ready to remain prisoners and will be not ready to remain an uh, oppressed nation, but will rise again and again against the continuation of the current uh, status quo uh, that is perpetuate their oppression. And therefore, we say that this uh, status quo is untenable. Palestine was deprived from freedom in 1948. Ever since, we have been living as refugees, refugees inside Gaza, refugees outside Gaza, in Jordan, in Syria, in Lebanon, and in diaspora. We deserve to live a, a, a free life, and this is about time to discuss this. People might think that this is not the right time to raise such a political issue, but I think the root cause of all the problem is political, and there should be a political move towards changing the dynamics, recognizing the right of the Palestinians to live a free life, and it is the responsibility of politicians who have been protecting the occupation for such a very long time. It's about time to say enough is enough. They want to uh, have some kind of a um, uh, business-friendly uh, Middle East, uh, which is the exact opposite of what's happening. So their immediate goal is, is to defeat Hamas and replace it with, with sort of friendly regime, maybe, uh, that will act as a subcontractor of national oppression, as, as they tried uh, and, and succeeded to some extent with the, the Fatah government in the West Bank. They would like, um, they would also like to, to rescue the Israeli hostages from Gaza, but uh, that is a secondary priority. You know, many of them realize that there is no perspectives for a long-term solution on the on the horizon right now, uh, even if they would like to commit a full-scale genocide, they, they aren't able to because that, that would put their, the whole regime in danger. It, they would pay a very, very high price for that. Basically, the process of ethnic cleansing both in the West Bank and occupied Eastern Jerusalem has increased uh, in the past few years uh, with Israeli governments promoting a slow annexation of the West Bank under apartheid regime what is happening with the war as a cover to dramatically increase the ethnic cleansing and uh, the processes that were already underway. A Quinnipiac University national poll released earlier this month shows that an overwhelming 84% of Americans are concerned that the United States will be drawn into a military conflict in the Middle East. Last week, U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin expressed concern to Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant about the Israeli government's role in escalating tensions along the border between Israel and Lebanon. As Axios reported, Austin's message to Gallant reflects growing anxiety in the White House that Israel is trying to provoke Hezbollah and create a pretext for a wider war in Lebanon that could draw the U.S. and other countries further into the conflict. The Israeli state's war on Gaza and the response to it is also exposing the fundamental links between American corporations and American imperialist policy. Corporations like Microsoft, Google, Hewlett-Packard, JP Morgan, and Goldman Sachs issued official statements of support for the Israeli state following the October 7th attack by Hamas and have been silent on the Israeli government's assault on Gaza. 
employees at tech companies like Google, Microsoft, and Amazon report that there have been attempts to censor them speaking out against the war and in favor of a ceasefire. Google's executives have long boasted a supposedly open culture. Google employees say that on the issue of the Israeli state's war on Gaza, the company has sunk into, quote, a morass of hostility and intolerance, end quote. This is not the first time Google workers have courageously spoken up against the Israeli state's assault on the Palestinian people, and also not the first time they have been intimidated and threatened. This also happened two years ago when workers organized against Project Nimbus, a $1.2 billion contract to supply the Israeli military with artificial intelligence and other computing power, technology likely used to surveil Palestinians. Google employees recently launched a renewed petition demanding that Google cancel Project Nimbus, which has garnered signatures from over 700 workers. To be clear, we should always greet with skepticism any claims of so-called open culture in big corporations. There's all kinds of lip service from executives for quote-unquote free speech until that free speech in any way threatens the profits of the capitalists or questions the totalitarian authority of the executives. Let's not forget that it was in Google, with its much-hyped open culture, that tech workers had to publicly protest the company's outrageous approach in handling sexual harassment cases against high-up executives. This involved a global rolling protest by Google workers in 2018 from Seattle to Mumbai. The supposedly progressive stances of corporations are empty symbolism, and even this is revoked at the slightest threat to their ideological domination or their profits. And when it comes to worker organizing, we can see the absolutely blatant ongoing union busting by Amazon and Starbucks bosses. Microsoft is another tech company where workers are speaking out against the war and have been targeted. Um, yeah, I'm a tech worker. Um, I work at Microsoft. Um, I've been involved in activism at least since Shama started running for city council in 2013. So uh, normally things in Microsoft are very quiet. Whenever anything is going on outside, it's a very sterile environment. Politically speaking, it's a very sterile environment, yeah. So uh, what happened was that initially there was a round of emails saying we need to stand with Israel. So Microsoft has many employees in Israel. Um, so there was, uh, there was emails by various vice presidents in the company saying we should be standing with Israel. Some of it was legitimate. They said we want to offer our solidarity with the employees there. But some of it was like very vague in its language. And when you say stand with Israel in the context of what's happening, that usually means you're being silent on some horrific war crimes. So I was uh, pretty furious when I saw those series of emails. And so I decided to send a response saying we should stand with Gaza. And in that I said we should also stand with Israeli civilians. Uh, and what happened on October 7th was criminal, was horrific. But what the Israeli state is carrying out in response is criminal and there's a war crimes. And there's a massive massacre of Gazans that is happening and there's a brutal siege. So I wrote, I wrote all of these things, and so I said we should be offering a solidarity to the people in Israel, as well as people in Gaza. I would have thought it's pretty anodyne, but um, it evoked quite uh, harsh reactions. The part that was, con that was regarded as contentious was the claim that Israel is committing war crimes. And uh, the vice president of my organization sent an email, not directly addressing what I said, but uh, saying basically, Hey, employees, I'm asking you not to send political emails on big mailing lists. He said this even though the other vice presidents had sent stand with Israel emails on big mailing lists. So that was odd. After that, HR, human resources, they call themselves employee relations. There's some part of human relations which is called that. So they reached out and said, uh, you know, we've gotten many complaints about your email. And uh, they said, and they had a phone a meeting with me where they told me that they could find me in violation of company policy. And I asked them what, what happens if they find me in violation of company policy. They said there's, there's a range of sanctions starting from like they'll ask you, we might ask you to go to several trainings all the way to termination of your employment. So that's the range. And eventually they did get back to me and they said they did not find me in violation of company policy. So they let me go with a, like a warning, right? Because I, the company policy says something about personal harassment. I was not personally harassing anyone. As I mentioned before, Shama, as a socialist elected representative of the working class, 
brought forward a city council resolution last week condemning the Israeli military assault and state terrorism on the Palestinian people in Gaza. The resolution demands an immediate ceasefire, an end to U.S. funding for the Israeli military, the safe release of all hostages, and an end to the Israeli occupation of Palestinian lands. It also states clear opposition to the brutal attacks by Hamas on civilians and affirms commitment to combat Islamophobia and anti-Semitism in all their forms. Seattle is not separate from the world, and elected officials here have a duty to vote yes on this resolution. Seattle is home to many people with family and friends in Israel and Palestine, including people in grave danger in Gaza. I urge council members to not delay speaking out on this devastating issue and vote yes. Obviously call for a ceasefire, obviously send in uh, humanitarian aid, end the military aid that we send to Israel, and end the occupation of Palestine. And the reason why this is really important that we mention all these four aspects of a solution is because calling for a ceasefire now is only the tip of the iceberg. And we need to awaken ourselves as an American society, as an international community, to what is actually happening and be very clear on the oppressor versus the oppressed and the imbalance of power. This resolution comes the closest that I've seen so far to language that actually is uh, makes sense and is clear and actually addresses the issue from more than just calling for a ceasefire and then walking away. The danger of doing that is that the root cause of what's causing the situation right now, the root cause of Israel's ability to continue to both evict them from their land and kill them so that they don't exist anymore, if we do not talk about the root cause, then it will continue to happen. And as we've seen, it will continue to get worse every time. The public support for our resolution has been overwhelming. Over 800 people wrote to the city council in support of it within a matter of hours. But in a shocker to no one, not one of the eight Democrats on the Seattle City Council, including the self-described progressives, was willing to support it. In fact, the Democrats refused to even offer what's called a courtesy seconding of Shama's motion in order to avoid having any vote on the resolution at all. This is the trick Democrats use on a regular basis to avoid going on record in front of working class people on an issue that shows how illusory their so-called progressive values actually are. They hope ordinary people are stupid enough to fall for this kind of sleight of hand, that if the vote doesn't happen, their betrayal of oppressed people will somehow go unnoticed, that not holding a vote somehow makes the legislation not exist. And it is no mystery as to why Democratic officials wanted nothing to do with this resolution. Fundamentally, they side with the U.S. ruling class and its imperialist interests in the Middle East, and everywhere for that matter. They are loath to defy the dictates of their party establishment. Dissent in the undemocratic party is followed by retribution, whereas if you are willing to toe the line, you can keep climbing the career ladder. Over 60 people testified in city council public comment in favor of the resolution condemning the horrific assault on Gaza. My name is Zarifa Baroud. My family is currently all in the Gaza Strip right now. And in the last month, I've lost over 26 members of my family due to the Israeli bombings that have been funded by the United States. 11 members of my family have not been recovered from the rubble. And their, their dead bodies are underneath the rubble because the United States insists on supporting Israel's slaughter that has been going on for over a month now. Today, Palestinian children, as young as toddlers, gathered and held a press conference outside of the Shifa hospital in Gaza that had just been bombed by Israel days before. They said, our, our families are being killed, and they pleaded to the world for their protection. I urge you to listen to their calls and vote yes on Councilwoman Sawant's powerful resolution calling for a ceasefire. My family cannot wait anymore. I do not want to lose any more members of my family. Mass anger can be a powerful agent for exposing betrayals from the top. When the Democrats refused to allow a vote on the resolution, none of the activists and working people were fooled. The city council chambers erupted in anger. The anger was so sustained and unanimous that the Democrats were forced to call for a recess. These Democrats, who were determined to look the other way over the carnage in Gaza, 
called their own humanitarian pause, as the stranger newspaper aptly said, to avoid hearing from the public in a meeting that they could almost all mute over Zoom anyway. As Shama pointed out in the council chambers, while these Democrats refused to defy their party's imperialist and warmongering position, the budding anti-war movement and the chasm between public opinion and the Democrats on this issue also meant that the Democrats did not dare vote against ceasefire either. A vote against our resolution would come with a hefty political price tag as the calls for an end to the violence become increasingly popular. What is your message, particularly to the, the politicians who did not support the resolution last week? What is your, if you're, if you're looking at them right now, what would your direct message to them be? My direct message to them is that the humanity is uniform. We are also humans and we deserve to be treated as such. Gazans have their own life that was confiscated by occupation, have their hopes that were undermined by the occupation are now and have been for such a very long time in Gaza, in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, have been subjected to attempts of subjugation, killing, uprooting, and confiscation of their lands. I think the history will not forget and the present will not tolerate the ongoing carnage against the people of Gaza. Working People and Shama's office plan to bring back the resolution to the city council for a re-vote on Tuesday, November 21st. If you are in the area, please help us pack City Hall on the 21st at 2 p.m. Warmongering and imperialism are a central part of the bipartisan agenda for Democrats and Republicans. Both parties have long track records of countless wars. Both parties armed the Israeli military decade after decade, and both support the plan to provide 14.3 billion new dollars to the Israeli state during this barbaric assault. The disagreement between the two parties is on funding for Ukraine, with the Trump supporting MAGA Republican Congress members opposing it. This is not an anti-war position by any means. We should have zero illusions in the MAGA and Trump agenda, which is every bit as warmongering as the Democrats, while also deeply reactionary and dangerous towards working people, unions, poor people, immigrants, people of color, and the environment. Tens of thousands of ordinary people have been killed in Ukraine in what is an inter-imperialist proxy war. Neither US nor Russian and Chinese imperialism care about the lives of working people, whether in Ukraine or Russia or the Middle East. The fact that it is Biden and the Democrats who are leading the U.S. capitalist state at the moment and calling for the whopping $106 billion for military funding in Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan is a reminder that for working people, neither party is worth a dime. We need a new major party for the working class, one that is genuinely anti-war and anti-corporate. We need a third party, <laughs> to quite bluntly put, right? I mean, this history of the Democrats being a pro-imperialist, pro-war party, uh, but still, there, is, there are notions of red lines, right? There are certain red lines when you cross, it becomes very clear that they are a pro-imperialist party. This is one such moment, right? It's very hard to defend. It, uh, there is a significant amount of outrage. I've never seen such outrage against the Democrats before. And all that outrage is justified, right? They have exposed themselves as war criminals, and even Sanders, even though he has very impressive things to say on domestic politics even now, for as far as I'm concerned, he's crossed the red line. I don't see how he gets back from this, right? This is, he's just completely undermined his own credibility. So we really need a party which is anti-imperialist, anti-war, and working class in its, in its character. I, I think the, the mass protests reflect the change in consciousness, particularly among young people who you know, uh, growing up opposing, sort of opposing any kind of, of oppression, whether it's, it's racism, misogyny, uh, anti-LGBTQ oppression, uh, or national oppression in, in this case. The job of, of, uh, of the protest is not to convince uh, capitalist governments that they should do the right thing, quote unquote, but uh, to build our own power in society. Uh, and because of that, I think we should, we should continue to, to protest, to, to grow the numbers, to, to escalate in many ways. Uh, but we need to go beyond sort of general slogans and, you know, instead form clear demands for this movement that we can actually discuss and agree on uh, and, and struggle around that go beyond just this, uh, but really fight for, for a world free of exploitation and, and oppression. Uh, and, and that means um, in the context of, of Palestine to, to immediately end the war and the occupation uh, for, for the Palestinian right for self-determination, including their own independent socialist and democratic state. 
uh, to end all attacks on, on democratic rights, um, whether it's in Israel, Palestine, but also against any attacks on democratic rights in the uh, in the Arab world and the West. So we have to make sure that today their refusal to even give us a second to have a vote itself should come with a hefty price tag, not just to these council members, but let's take the message outside. This is very making it very clear the Democratic Party any more than the Republican Party is not the representative of working people, of oppressed people, and against imperialism. We need a party on the left, a party that is actually opposed to imperialism and actually is opposed to the billionaire class to fund the needs of ordinary people, whether they are American or Israeli or Palestinian. That's the kind of world we need. And the starting point of that in the United States is for us, working people and the labor movement and communities to fight for a new party for the working class. I, I think that anyone who genuinely stands in, in solidarity with ordinary working people should actually break from the Democratic Party and, and work with organizations like, like Work Strike Back, like Socialist Alternative to bring together the forces uh, for building a new strong party that uh, genuinely represents and fights for the interest of, uh, of the working class. Next week is Thanksgiving. On Strike will be taking a short break. And when we come back on Thursday, November 30th, we will bring some exciting updates from the Union Drive at Amazon's largest air hub in the world, KCBG, located in Northern Kentucky. On Strike is a production of Workers Strike Back, a nationwide organization fighting on working class demands like a $25 an hour minimum wage, union jobs, Medicare for all, and against discrimination and oppression. Workers Strike Back is also calling for a new party for working people because neither the Republican Party nor the Democratic Party represents us. Find out more at workerstrikeback.org and donate. And look for us on Patreon to support our work. On Strike is a broadcast entirely for working people and funded entirely by working people. Solidarity.